The Birth Story Love Letter is a unique offering that captures your personal experience. This offering is a keepsake or memento of sorts, a treasure capture of your sacred life memory, a love letter to yourself, your children, born or unborn, your family and friends, community, and ancestors. This offering includes recording space to share your story, edited audio of your birth story, and transcription of your birth story in both a digital and custom-created hard copy. This is our oral history gift, a story that should be honored by being heard, shared, and remembered. Stories shared in this manner are for the storyteller's personal use. They will not be shared via the BSIC podcast. Head to the Birth Stories in Color website to begin your love letter. Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Dr. Vernette Kuntz, the founder of the Perinatal Wellness Institute. She serves her communities as a perinatal integrative clinician, educator, birth worker, health and fitness, TV personality, childbirth expert panelist for Our Bodies, Ourselves, and debut collaborative author of My Piece of the Pie, a collection of stories from Black women entrepreneurs. Amongst all those beautiful accomplishments, she is also a mom of seven including a surrogate mother of twins. And we are thrilled to have her share her truth today. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> can you start off, even though we've gone through the rundown of all those beautiful things, can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family? Yes. So that is a lot of things, um, a lot of accomplishments. But honestly, at my core, I am just you know, Black girl magic trying to create legacy. And so um, I do have seven children. Um, I have three biological children, 15, 11, and seven months. I also have two bonus girls from my marriage. And I have two surrogate, um, they're not babies. I keep saying babies, but they're not. They're three at this point um, that I birthed in 2018 for a pair of um, guys that are amazing. Um, so I am a mother of seven. I have such a dynamic uh, outlook on motherhood. I never thought that motherhood would look like this, but you know, I'm unapologetically flowing through the unknown, um, the chaos and and cries and joys and memories and all that stuff. Um, and, you know, motherhood is a full time job. So I can't really say when I'm not mothering, but, you know, when the <laughs> when the kids are attended to and they got their own agenda and they're good. Um, I am in birth work. Birth work was called to me several years ago, um, even after motherhood, but truly dived into birth work um, a little bit before the pandemic hit us pretty hard, um, and I was called to it. And so the way that I show up um, is birth worker. So what does that look like? A birth doula. I would say I'm a full spectrum, but really, I honestly show up in birth. I think that's where uh, my talents are and where I'm able to ground mothers and remind them of their their innate power and their birthright to bring life birthside. Um, and, and so that's the, the birth side of things. Um, well, actually, I am a birth, a childbirth educator as well and a placenta encapsulator. Um, but I thrive in 
you know, my passion of showing up for moms in the space of, of birthing. Um, and then just carrying them through their early postpartum stages. And then I'm, uh, clinically, uh, I'm a perinatal chiropractor. So, um, I do a lot of things and, you know, I'm, I'm not really built or wired to do the same thing every day. And so I think that that's what gives me that joy in being a, a, a mompreneur, if you will, all these new terms, right, that <laughs> didn't exist when we were little. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's, it's joy wearing so many hats that create community. And so that's where the Perinatal Wellness Institute was birthed. I'm actually still building that platform, but all of the things that I do under my current brand, Dr. Burnett um, Health Systems LLC, will be transferred under the umbrella of the Perinatal Wellness Institute. And so on that platform, my goal really is to create culture, community um, that supports um, all all moms, all mothers. And so I'm really excited about it because I'm gathering some really awesome and dynamic professionals, but also mothers that talk the real talk about um, the truth with womanhood and motherhood and parenthood and all the things that come with, um, you know, raising these little humans to be better than we are. Um, And so that platform will provide resources. Um, Some will be through videos, some will be through links, testimonies, blogs. Um, And so that will be kind of the community and culture that I'm that I'm building for for moms and professionals that are under the umbrella of um, perinatal care. So that's it. I think. <laughs> I don't know. So much. It's plenty. It's plenty. Yeah. And it sounds like you're just just kind of like what you're saying, just being able to fill all these different spaces that you're connected to, not just um, a checkbox and say, oh, I'm full spectrum. So I do whatever someone says that I do, right? Um, but that you've actually found the niche within that, the things that you really have connected with. And it would seem like a lot, but it, was, it, it is nice to be able to do different things each day. It is. I think that brings life to your passion. It rebirths your joy. Um, at least for me, it does. And so I'm able to share space, sacred space with women that are transitioning into moms, into new moms. So whether this is their first birth or pregnancy or their seventh, you know, every, every birth is different, as you all know, uh, with having three children each, like each pregnancy is different. Each birth experience is different. Well, you know, I know we'll dive a little bit more into uh, my experiences being pregnant and and birthing because they all were very different. But, you know, to share that type of sacred space, that intimate space um, with a birthing person is just, it's magical. It really is. And it's just life-changing every time. So I'm honored to share that space with them. Let's talk about your pregnancy that you want to share with us today. How was it? Well, my most recent pregnancy, um, was transformational. Um, so I've been pregnant five times and I have five children. Um, but I've had four births. So what that means is when I was 16, um, those who have kind of followed 
um, my journey through surrogacy, um, they, they, they know this part, right? So I was 16, I became pregnant and my family, um, was very adamant about the, the choice of termination of abortion. And so, you know, abortion is still very sensitive. It's such a taboo topic to talk about. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of women that suffer in silence with the choices that either was made for them or um, that they made. And so, you know, I had a really, really hard time. I had a heavy grieving process with uh, my abortion at 16 and, and made some decisions based off of that, that choice that was made for me that I feel was made for me. And so, um, you know, I started motherhood, the journey of motherhood. I got pregnant, um, again when I was 20 and I was a sophomore in college and, you know, my mindset was like, I am going to walk across this stage with this baby on my hip. Like no one's taking this baby away from me. And I, I think that's probably when I really started finding my voice. Um, because I did just that. And, um, and he's now 15 in high school, which is like mind blowing to me. Um, but, uh, the journey of, of motherhood has definitely, um, been some ups and downs. And so, you know, I had hospital births with all of the children that I've birthed with my son. Um, you know, I had a hospital birth and had an epidural, um, no complications, you know, same with my daughter who's now 11. And, um, and so with the twins, I was going through a transition in my life. I was previously married and, and that marriage was very toxic. And so I was coming to this realization of like liberation and really trying to find my most authentic self, right? I was, I was already starting to have a voice when, um, when I became a, a mother to Jeremiah, my oldest, but I wasn't really reinforcing what I was feeling and saying um, in my day to day. And so I knew that my calling was to be a surrogate very early on, um, even before I had Jeremiah. And the reason why I say that, you know, thinking back on all of these memories in my life is because I took life from my womb, I wanted to give life. And so I had some parameters that I wanted to work around for sure, because surrogacy still is very taboo, similar to abortion. Um, it, it's, it's becoming a little bit more talked about um, nowadays, but, you know, a black woman being a surrogate is like, I mean, there's some historic generational traumas that are coming up, you know, when people talk about that in that space. And so for me, it was like, okay, well, we can talk about it. Yeah, that's fine. But like, that's not going to change my decision um, because I was a surrogate for a non-Black family. And so some people kind of had some commentary about it. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's my womb. It's not anyone else's. And I get to make that decision um, and make that decision um, with confidence. And so... I went through a surrogacy um, agency and I, I vetted several and I found one that spoke to me and I felt that it was appropriate to work with an agency because there's so much paperwork on the on the the, the back end of not the back end, but the the front end of things. Um, but behind the scenes, there's so much paperwork that goes into working with a with an agency. So I didn't want 
that analytical, cold side of things to interfere with the journey itself. And so when I decided to work with the agency, right, they matched me with um, some intended parents. That's the term when you have a, a person or persons that are looking to create a family. They're called intended parents. And so I had, um, I was matched with um, with a couple and uh, a same-sex couple and um, we immediately like aligned. It was glorious. It was like, we were meant to be exactly where we were at that time. And so I knew, like we knew we were like, okay, what's next? And we talked for a couple hours and typically, you know, this whole, my whole storyline for my surrogacy was very non-traditional, if you will. Um, I'm I'm on the birth certificate with the kids. I don't have any legal rights, right? That's the paperwork side of things to um to my twins but um the relationship that I was able to build with their dads and the relationship that I still have with them um is is very much um authentic and so they wanted to keep me involved in the kids life and so we do you know periodic calls and check-ins and stuff like that um virtual cuz they don't live um in the same space that I live in but um the surrogacy journey really was the uh, the turning point in being more intentional about creating a birth team, about um, setting intentions for the journey, right? So if I'm carrying life for someone else, it's it's like, oh, you know, all all hands on deck. You got to make sure that you know um, your mind is healthy and and right and in the good space. Like your emotions are in check, if you will. Um, physically, you know, in shape, spiritually healthy, um, and so, and, and, you know, mentally, and mentally present. And so, um, that was something that I intentionally created that space. I had to purge the people in my life and the things that I was doing that just wasn't serving my highest good. And that was not supportive of what I wanted to do. And, and I realized, right, when I started talking about my surrogacy, just now that people, it's a taboo thing. So people have their their stories from what people have shared with them, what they've seen on TV, what their exposure is. And it's like, listen, I did not make this decision yesterday. I really didn't. This is something that I have been thinking on for, at that point, almost a decade. And it was very important to me to fulfill this purpose. And so, you know, when people ask me, you know, do you feel that this replaces you know, the hardship and the grievance of having an abortion. And, and I quickly tell them, no, I feel like this is this is an attunement, right? This is something that I feel allows me to progress in my evolving healing process. Because um, a lot comes into play when you're when you messing around with your womb space. And so um, having this journey and experience that has really opened up my sense of community. I was very intentional about who I worked with. My provider was an OB that specialized in multiples um, with vaginal deliveries. And usually when you're having multiples, your OB will immediately um, schedule you for a cesarean. And so, you know, I wanted I wanted choice. I wanted to have a voice in this process. And the dads were so supportive of me taking the lead and them trusting, um, trusting my knowledge and, you know, the things that I was, um, the things that I was doing to make sure that their, their babies would, would be safe with me. And so, um, from then, 
it just literally was a domino effect. It was, you know, allowing my voice to be um, loud and uh, tell the story of abortion and pregnancy and the the challenges of pregnancy and and wanting to show up as a surrogate. And so that really did set the tone um, for my most recent pregnancy, which that's the one that I really do want to talk about today. Um, so when I became pregnant with Hudson, who is seven months old now, we, uh, were deep in the pandemic, right? So I became pregnant with him in September of 2020 and the world had shut down just months earlier in March. And so um, I had recently eloped to my new husband. And so, you know, different cultures coming together. He's in Montana, um, which is different from Atlanta. And so he had relocated and, you know, we planned the pregnancy. And so I immediately, you know, from using the template of um, work, uh, being a surrogate and working in birth work already, I was like, okay, let's see if we can do a birth center birth. And I am deeply rooted in the Atlanta birth um, community. And so um, connected to the Atlanta birth center, I was able to uh, build my team from there. I had three midwives and not only did I have three midwives, I had three of the black midwives. Um, to guide me through my pregnancy and and ultimately show up for me at my birth and uh, postpartum. And so I had a birth photographer and a pelvic floor therapist to, to really work on rehabbing those muscles, tendons, and ligaments that had been really stretched from my surrogacy pregnancy. And I carried them um, full term, not only full term, to 39 weeks. So when I tell you I was stretched to the max, y'all, listen, my my whole systems was like, I didn't know we was doing all this. And I'm like, well, we're doing it. So there's no going back. <laughs> there's no return receipt, okay? And so they actually were birthed at 39 weeks. And as you all know, full term is between, well, if you're in the midwifery model, it's 37, but you know, globally, it's 38 weeks all the way through 42 weeks or 41 weeks and six days. And so having twins vaginally uh, without intervention, well, low intervention, um, you know, at 39 weeks is, is, is just miraculous, right? And so that healing process, I didn't realize how much more work I really did need to be doing um, with my pelvic floor and um, making sure that my body was strong enough to, you know, to, to withstand the challenges that, that come with pregnancy. And so um, I, I actually, the day that I went into labor, I was uh, at Atlanta Birth Center um, doing some work there. And and so that night I get home and go to sleep for a couple hours and I wake up and my water breaks. And so yeah, this is my fifth child, y'all. Okay. So when your water breaks, you should know like, oh, my water has broken. Okay. Well, let me call my midwife. No, honey. I was like, did I just pee on myself? Which was so funny to me. I was just tickled because you just, you would think, you would, you would just think that you're kind of a pro at this now. Um, but anyway, so my water broke at like 3 a.m. in the morning and um, 
or maybe about 2 a.m. in the morning. And my husband was actually coming back from a hockey game. Um, he plays um, semi-pro hockey. And so it was actually one of their later games. They didn't start until like 1130. And so, um, and it was, you know, if you're in Metro Atlanta, you know, it's, you know, it could take you an hour to get like up the street. And so he was about 45 minutes away. And so anyway, so he wasn't home is where I'm getting at. And so I call him and I'm like, hey, um, either I peed on myself or my water broke, but I'm pretty sure that my, my water broke. So like, are you on your way? Are you hanging out with the guys? Like what's going on? So he's like, I'm on my way. And he's, it was our first child together. Um, like I said, I have two bonus girls. And so that was from his previous marriage. And so he's, he's lived the life of like, you know, your significant other goes into labor and like, it's like, okay, let's do this thing. But you know, with me, it's, I'm a, I'm a whole mood. Um, that's, that's quite different than what he's used to. So I'm like, it's okay. Like we're good. So he's like, well, let's just call the midwife. I'm like, okay, we'll call the midwife. And of course, you know, I'm, I, because I have the relationship that I have with Atlanta birth center, like I have their cell phone numbers. So I'm just texting them. So they're like, okay, well, come on in. I said, okay. So we drive to the birth center, which is about 20 minutes, right? This is two, three o'clock in the morning. So there's, I would like to say there's no traffic, but you know, sometimes there's traffic, but at this particular time there's no traffic. And so they check me and they're like, okay, you're about three centimeters and maybe 40% of face. And so when you're working in birth work, like that stuff really doesn't, doesn't mean much. Um, it's just numbers, but so I'm like, okay, well, well, what do you want us to do? And they're like, well, just lay down. And, um, and I, and let me mention this. I was GBS positive. And so um, GBS is, is group B strep. And so it's just a bacteria that's found in your, in your uh, vaginal walls. And so when a mom is GBS positive, you, you want to encourage her to at least have one dosage of antibiotics. So that way it just doesn't affect the baby and um, have potential complications. And so um, coming from the more holistic model, I was like, okay, we're going to do one dose of an antibiotic. So like, I'll, I'll let you guys know when things pick up and all that stuff. So that was really kind of the main thing um, that I needed to, to be uh, mindful of in early labor. And so, you know, we get back home and I fall asleep for a couple hours and, um, and I wake up. And so I am texting a girlfriend of mine that actually does my lashes. And so I had an appointment with her the the next day, but I knew I was in early labor. So this thing wasn't going to take very long. And so I was like, hey, girl, like, and she's actually, uh, you know, she she had been inclusive in my birth team because um, she's not just a friend that does my lashes, but we also do a lot of work together in birth work. And um, she's a, a brilliant herbalist. And, and so... Um, she was uh, the lead of my mother's blessing uh, way. And so I didn't even get to to do that because I was supposed to be that weekend. So I text her. I'm like, hey, girl, like I'm in early labor. It's so, and she's like, oh my gosh, da, 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 da. And I'm like, no, it's okay. But I, what I'm, I'm texting you because like, yes, you need to cancel the mother's blessing, but I need you to do my lashes because... <laughs> Because I don't know when I'm going to be able to get my face together, okay? And she knew. She's got two kids. And y'all know, it's just, you know, when you go into that labor realm and that new parenthood, like, getting cute does not matter. And so it was it was less about getting cute, but it was more so about self-care. Like, I wanted to still be 
to feel feminine and to feel sensual, even through that process, right? And so long story short, I, I meet up with her and she's counting my contractions while she's doing my lashes. And so, you know, my husband calls me and he's like, honey, where are you at? Are you at the birth center? Like, did I miss something? And I'm like, no, honey, I'm getting my lashes done. And of course, him being from Montana um, and he's a white man. And so he, he, I told him, I said, it's totally fine. Um, you know, I've got my people that are making sure that I'm okay. I'll be back home and, and all those things. So I get back home. I call my midwife and she's like, okay, it's been about 12 hours. You know, this time is like 3 p.m., 2 p.m. And I'm like, okay, well, let's go ahead and come in. My contractions were picking up, but it was still kind of, you know, touch and go. So we get there and y'all, I'm like six, seven centimeters. And so they're like, okay, let's go ahead and, and, and get you set up and do all the things. So I brought in my, my doula, I had a doula. Um, and of course you all know, I just talked about the three midwives that came, the three black midwives, and that was such a historical moment, honestly, for, um, birth work, um, especially with Atlanta birth center, because, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that I had a birth photographer that was able to tell this narrative through visual aid because she really did, my birth photographer really did document the authenticity of free labor and physiological labor and birth. And so I get there and they admit me. um, And so we're in the fire room and my contractions are kind of picking up, but they're kind of touch and go. And and so I had my uh, colleague come in and as I shared with you all earlier, I am a prenatal chiropractor. So I understand the impact that having a chiropractor come in and do some soft tissue work. And it's not a rack em and crack em type thing. It's it's very gentle. Um, it's more so of like, if you think of trigger points with just kind of pressing, pressing on the tissues um, and the ligaments, it helps to release that tension. And it honestly, it puts mom at ease, right? Because you're working with her parasympathetic system, which is responsible for that rest and digest. And we're staying away from the sympathetics, which is that fight, flight, freeze, fear. Um, And so when she does the adjustment on me, I think I had Hudson within four and a half, maybe five hours, because it really just, it it propelled my body into reassuring me that I am in a safe space, that my body knows exactly what to do. Like this is truly a physiological birth where there are things that are changing organically and naturally without intervention. And so after my adjustment, you know, we, we, we do some pacing in the hallway, we do some body positions. And by that time, y'all, my whole team was there. You're talking about the photographer was there. The, um, my doula was there. I had a maternal mother figure who kind of was this physical embodiment of my mothers who have since passed on. Um, my, both my mother and my godmother has passed on. Um, and it was, it's been the first time that both of them were, um, spiritual side while I was birthing. And so, um, Mm. you know, you've got the nurse and you've got these three black midwives that's creating this just historical experience of like, this is how you usher and guide and orbit a mom doing what she's been born to do. And so honestly, the, the photos of my photographer really depict 
this smooth transition because we, you know, I was laboring on the toilet, which I tell my mom's in childbirth education and as a doula, I'm like, y'all, that is the best spot to be. Because if you have to go to the bathroom, you're already there. And when you have a doula or support person doing some soft tissue work or doing like double hip squeeze or counter pressure, um, you're already there. You're in the perfect position. And so um, my midwives checked me and, you know, apparently I was, I was having a contraction and I lifted up on my tippy toes and and they told me later, because I didn't know this, um, that usually that's when mom is transitioning. And so we get in the pool and oh y'all, this pool, the water was amazing. And it just, it redirected my focus, you know, because when you're in active labor, you're like, I don't know if I could do this. Like, I know that I've done this before, like, but this time, like, I don't know, like, this is, this is intense. And you, and you go into this different realm of, um, spirituality and, and emotional, um, connections with just a whole nother level. And so I remember laboring in the pool and, you know, holding my doula. And every time that I reached out, there was always someone there. And I remember telling my birth team, I said, for this birth, I need to be mothered. And I don't know exactly what that looks like, but if I reach out or if I look at you, like I need you to know that I need you. And so without hesitation, I mean, there was like five different hands like surrounding me every single time. And so it came time um, and I said, I actually, I was, I was on the side of the pool. My husband was in the pool for most of it. But towards then, I was like, honey, you got to get out because even you shifting a little bit, it's like a wave and I don't need that wave because that's like intense for me. So he had gotten out of the pool and I actually had sent him to help the midwives get the um, nitrous oxide. They just, Atlanta Birth Center just started offering nitrous oxide as a pain coping. And so they were in the back, all the midwives kind of went back there and I later found out they were like excuse me, putting it together and doing all those things. And I remember telling my doula, now all this I feel like happened in like one minute, but it was probably over a span of maybe 20 minutes. And I told her, I said, I think I'm going to push, like I'm ready to push. And so, you know, this is what I tell moms. I'm like, you don't have to be coached to push. Like if you feel like it's time to push, like listen to your body. Um, And so coaching helps for some people, but for others, it's like, it's okay. Sometimes you have to give them that permission to say like, it's really okay. Like this is normal for your body to, to have that ejection reflex. And so I'm holding on to my doula and I'm on like kind of hands and knees and I'm in the pool and I feel this like surge to push And I told her, I was like, I'm pushing. I don't know where everybody else is at, but I'm pushing. I remember saying that. And so I, you know, later I'm apologizing. Like, I'm so sorry if I was rude to you during my birth. And, you know, you just, some, sometimes you you just don't know Um, your tone with, with, with that um, season, you know, of laboring. And so, yeah, I pushed Hudson and two, maybe it was really one and a half push. I started pushing. My midwives rushed in and they were like, okay go, like go for it. And I remember pushing and one of my midwives said, wait a minute. So I want you to take a deep breath in. And the way that she did it, y'all, it was so smooth. I didn't know what she was doing, but she told me, she said, Vernette, I need you to um, take a deep breath in. Don't push just yet. And then 
when you're ready, I want you to push again. And so I did just that and 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 they were like, okay, reach down for your baby. And so th- one of the pictures that my photographer got uh, in that moment was just the surprise of like, oh my gosh, he's here already. Because y'all, I remember pushing what seemed like for days with other <laughs> babies. Um, but with, with Hudson, he just, he really did transition really smooth. And so, um, you know, I carried him up from the water and, and, and witnessed him take his first breath and we did chest to chest and it was time to get out of the pool. And so from that moment on, things kind of went a little bit quick. And so I get in the bed and, and now it's time to deliver this placenta. Y'all, I don't remember how challenging delivering a placenta was. I think in my mind, I honestly felt like I was ready for the birth, but I wasn't ready for the placenta. And so I later found out that um, the placenta, when a mom is having multiple births, um, typically it becomes more painful, like the cramping is more painful to deliver the placenta. And, and that just hadn't been my experience. I don't remember with the twins. And that was, you know, baby three and baby four. So with baby five, I just thought it'd be smooth. And so um, placenta wasn't coming. And so we were creeping up on 20 minutes. And so we ended up getting on the birth pool. And I remember, y'all, it was really tough to change positions because you still have contractions, right? That's the natural process. Your uterine contractions are still happening in order to detach the placenta from the um, uterine wall and to, you know, eject from the body. And so it just was so painful. And I remember feeling like, I can't do this. Like you have to pull this placenta out. But of course, medically, like you can't do that. That comes with a host of complications and it's unethical to do that anyways. And so I got on the birth stool and that was the magical position. The, the placenta came out. And meanwhile, it was beautiful because my, my husband is also a chiropractor as well. And so Hudson got his first adjustment and, you know, adjustment for an infant really is like pressing on the, the right behind their ear, right? They don't, they're not, again, rackham and crackham. They don't even have heart tissue yet, right? It's all cartilage that will turn to bone, but it's, it's just a soft tissue contact And, um, and so it was just, it's, it, it's so beautiful to be able to have a space without limitations, um, where you can truly birth it in your own, um, in your own right. And it's fluid. Um, and so, you know, we got back in the bed and, um, Hudson was, having inconsistent breathing, right? So rapid breathing breathing is tachycardia. And so he was having a little of that and he was kind of dusky. And so it was like a little bit of a brown type of, it's almost like if you throw dirt on a child and it just stays right there. And it was in between his forehead. And uh, my midwives were like, okay, well, let's just give him some oxygen and we'll do skin to skin. And do you want to breastfeed? And I, and I said, you know what? Take care of him. I'm okay. No, I don't want to breastfeed him right now because I'm in a lot of pain. Like I still was in a lot of pain. Um, And the contractions obviously are going to continue to to happen because you want your uterus to go back down to the the size that it was before pregnancy. And so for me, I felt cared for. I also felt cared for with my my team. And so during the time that I was um, kind of trying to get myself together and they were working on Hudson, um, 
one of my midwives uh, gave him uh, by syringe and tube um, Hudson's first um, feeding. And I was so honored for her to do that. Um, You know, I've been asked, how do you feel about that? You know, because you weren't able to do, you know, his first feeding and and all of the work that you do. And yet this happens. And I said, honestly, I I don't think that that was a down point. I, I thought that that was one of the highlights because that is the definition of community. She's like, maybe we can, maybe this can be a tool having some nutrition in regulating his oxygen levels and his breathing patterns. Right. And so, you know, she did syringe feeding with him. Um, and so that brought consistency a little bit, but we wanted to make sure that he was going to be okay. So we had him transferred, um, next door to, um, to the hospital setting and, and with the birth center, they have hospital privileges. So they still was able to be, he was still able to be cared for with the midwives. And so, um, so he was transferred to the NICU and, and I stayed back and, and, um, so his dad, uh, my husband, and um, Hudson rode in the ambulance, and and so before they loaded him up, the the responders were in the room, and so like they're taking in the sight, right? So I'm still conscious to see like what's going on, and you can see them looking over in this birth pool that's full of blood, and there's blood on the floor. So clearly there's been a birth, right? Because they're they're about to take my son and just have him. Be uh, under observation was what ended up happening, 36 hour observation. And so they're like, okay, um, did you birth in the, you know, because it's not the space to be asking questions, but they have it all over their face. And so, you know, they're like, okay, so you, you, you birthed in the water. Did the baby come out in the water? And we we're like, yeah, you know, so it's, it was, it was cool, even though, you know, in the ideal situation, you don't want to have your baby transferred um, to the NICU and, you know, all that comes with, with NICU babies. Um, but you know, you find the joy and the, the relief in the details of, um, you know, how things unfold. And so anyways, fast forward. So Jer, uh, not Jeremiah, that's my oldest Hudson, uh, was transferred to the NICU and was there for 36 hours. And, um, we actually were able to stay in the midwifery room, um, on site to be able to feed every three hours, every two hours. And so that was such an honor and, and truly a privilege because moms, I wasn't admitted only Hudson. So typically what happens is if a mom has, uh, her baby transferred, she typically like is, you know, discharged or whatever she goes home and then she's, she comes back to visit. And so for us, we were we were able to stay at the hospital in the midwifery office, their on-call room, and, um, you know, set timers every two hours, go down to the NICU floor, breastfeed, or, or, or try to do um, skin-to-skin, you know, as long as as we could until it was time to say, okay, we'll be back in two, another two hours to, to feed him. And so um, we did that for 36 hours and we, we all went home. And of course that brought up feelings for me. I didn't really talk about that in the initial, like he's here, right? It's kind of like, I'm still processing that second portion. Um, and so we get home and my dad came into town and stayed with us for about seven weeks to take care of me while I took care of Hudson. Um, my husband still had to, to go back um, to work and see patients. 
my midwifery team came to visit. Everyone was basically on a shift, if if you will. And they sent food. They had a meal train and they, they sent food and or cooked food. They came and, and held baby while I was able to take a nap or shower or kind of help me walk around because um, I was still very sore. And um, we later found out that Hudson had a tongue and lip tie. And so because of the connections that I have in birth work um, with the Atlanta um, community, I was able to get connected to our occupational therapist who did some 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 um, some low intervention work with him um, orally and soft tissue wise and uh, before the the revision. And, um, you know, that was a process in and of itself because I didn't I didn't I had never had issues with breastfeeding. And so I had worked with moms who had had issues. But to have that lived experience, you know, you have this new sense of um, understanding and compassion that comes with showing up for moms, like truly showing up, like, I see you, I've lived it, I get it. And so with that being said, you know, he's seven months now and thriving. He's hit all of his milestones. Um, We did a lot of investment in working in soft tissue, him getting adjusted and doing tummy time and a whole protocol for him. Um, I've had to do some rehabilitation with my pelvic floor and I have um, a separation in my abdominal wall called diastasis recti or uh, diastasis recti. It's pronounced both ways. And so, um, you know, the journey has definitely been unpredictable, but valuable and worth it. Um, We're still breastfeeding. And I find that those are the times that I bond most with him. Um, he loves snuggling up and, you know, feeding at the breast. And it's it's actually been the longest that I've breastfed any of my biological children. Um, and so I still have to do, I didn't tell you all this, but um, I found out that I have low milk supply. And a woman that was actually inspired by my surrogacy story became a surrogate twice. And she was pumping for her family. And, you know, they were transitioning into solid foods. And so she had three large coolers worth of frozen breast milk. And she was like, girl, I wouldn't have been able to be a surrogate had it not been for your story. And mind you, I didn't even know this at the time. I had been friends with her for at least a year from a mutual friend. And um, she brought over three coolers of breast milk. And so I was able to breastfeed and have a breast milk for supplementation um, up for four or five months. Um, And so just this whole journey really has been eye-opening. I'm still heavy in it. I still have my mood um, imbalances. I have postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety, which I've had for all of my pregnancies. And so that's not a new conversation. But I find that it's one that is needed for me to expand my understanding, knowledge, and training on, which is why earlier on we talked about me being involved with a, a training under PMADS, which is Perinatal Mood and Anxiety Disorders through Postpartum Support International and 2020 Mom Initiative. And it helps to normalize the conversations surrounding around postpartum recovery and care for mom because we celebrate this glorious um, occasion of bringing baby earth side. And then it really is 
a huge gap in our system for caring for mom and recognizing those risk factors and signs and symptoms for mood and anxiety disorders. And so, you know, it shows up for dad too, and they're doing more research to be able to do some more training um, with health professionals and, and those who work in birth work. But all in all, I'd say that this journey definitely has been one that's worth it. Again, it's unpredictable, but it's, it's to create life and to see things come into fruition, like your body creates cells that now creates a whole human being. And just to witness that and be a part of that sacred community, um, you know, is one that I don't take lightly. So that's my birth story, y'all. In all its glory. <laughs> I was thinking back to your labor when you said that you were ready to push in that moment of, you know, you say you speak to your birth clients about trusting themselves um, enough to know when to push and to, to actually listen to themselves. And I know that can be challenging for a lot of people, especially those that have suffered or survived any types of trauma yeah. and being able to trust themselves in their own body and their mind. Um, what was it for you that allowed you to kind of release into that and really, I mean, granted, you've given birth more than once <laughs> already. Um, was there more to it for you as well, other than muscle memory? It was more to it um, because even it doesn't, I think for a mom, it depends on where she's at in her mindset. Um, you know, we're, we're still in a pandemic, you know, we're, we're coming out of it, but we're still in isolation. And, um, you know, Laurel, I don't know if you've experienced this thus far, but there is a level of isolation that comes with pregnancy in a pandemic where we focus so much on community, uh, partners coming to appointments with you, you sharing in the joy of seeing your baby on this screen and um, doing things with other moms, moms-to-be, you know, taking classes and, and going to the park. And, you know, if you've got older kids, you know, them playing at the park and you being your mommy's group and going out to lunch and all these things, that, that really wasn't the case. Um, and so, you know, that does something to a mom that needs community that is used to seeing her village and community. And, and, and even though it, it's not, it may not always be a, a conscious thing subconsciously, human nature is to be surrounded around community. And so there, you know, the reason why I bring that up is because deep down there, there was some fear for me. Um, and even though I had built community, we're still kind of operating in rules, right? You're kind of shuffled through this system and um, hoping for the best and not wanting to be transferred to the hospital because right now we've got, you know, at that time we had COVID patients at the hospital where you're trying to, to not be. And so that was very scary for me. And um, in those moments of transition, um, especially when, you know, we're coming up on the, the stage, the pushing stage. For me, it was taking inventory of who decided to show up. Um, during a pandemic in one 
room. I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's a, a, a super small room, but it's not like, you know, social distancing where you're putting out, you know, your hands and making sure that you're not close. Birth is such an intimate experience. You know, how can you not be intimate with that person? And so to have a host of people that were there, that were present, that were holding space for me, that was the reminder that I needed um, in addition to birth affirmations that were verbalized to me, you know, from my doula, from my husband, from my midwives. I mean, when you scan the room, let's talk about this. I'm in Georgia, which has the highest Black maternal and infant mortality rates. And me as a birth worker, I understand the rates. I talk about them all the time. I am also in a dual role where I am a pregnant woman birthing, Black pregnant woman birthing in the state of Georgia with the highest rates. And I'm trusting that I won't be a statistic. And so when I scan the room and I see majority women that look like me, that see me without even having that conversation, that's the reminder that I need, like, I'm safe. I'm safe and I'm covered and I know if anything goes south. Then women will literally take me to the hospital immediately for medical intervention, right? And have already established great connections with the hospitals that are in network with them, right? It's like I knew that I was covered. And so having that fear removed in that moment where I'm scanning the room and I'm seeing three brilliant black midwives on my side. And I'm seeing my doula, who's a registered nurse and understands the medical language, right? And understands and has been a part of hundreds of births. And I've done births with her too, which is one of the reasons why I chose her. And, you know, having my husband that understands that fear that comes with birthing as a Black woman um, and them rallying around me and saying, like, you can do this. That's where I kind of rebirth my strength and my courage to say, you know what, like, I'm okay. Like this baby's coming, right? There is no return receipt. And so we're going to do this thing and we're going to bring this baby earth side and it's going to be great. Um, so that's what I would say was probably my, my, my pivot point um, in that pushing stage. Um, what I was going to, uh, reference back to is your um, you said um, birthing without limitations right and then the layer of community support that you were able to have to do that so your birth team thinking about the support with um, first feeding of Hudson um, thinking about being able to have him tr transferred to take care of him, but also you be in close proximity. And um, then your postpartum with having like um, a support person who could provide pelvic floor support, the chiropractic care, just all those layers and what that does to heal, nurture, 
allow for a birth that feels like it is a rebirth for you. It just, it was like the full picture, right? Of what we, what we hope people are able to do, but being able to hear your journey, I think sets it in stone of like, this is why we need all of those parts that nothing can be siloed that in order to take care of the mom, the baby, the family, we need all of these layers. Um, and it's exactly said birthing without limitations. Like there was, there was no, um, stops, no gaps, no hurdles. And I shouldn't say no hurdles, but just thinking about the flow of it to be able to get you the care that you needed and deserved. You know, it's, when I think about Hudson's birth story, and I'm still processing it, I'm, I'm actually in a training, I'm always learning, but I'm in a training um, for birth story listening medicine, and it talks about the deeper listening and what we've been told about birth and, you know, in addition to our experiences and, and things of that sort, and really connecting to our intuition and, and supporting um postpartum moms and really trying to work through their birth story, regardless if there's trauma or not. It's, um, it's still one of those things that I think that we as moms process on an ongoing level. It's like, you're never really postpartum. I mean, clinically, okay. Like after a year or so, whatever, but you're always in postpartum. Postpartum is lifelong. And so, you know, what happens when, something comes up for you five years down the line, 20 years, 30 years down the line, and it's a trigger for you. And you didn't even know it was still, that memory was still being stored, right? Danielle was talking about tissue memory. And even though you were talking about tissue memory from the sense of like pushing, it still rings true with the things that we hold on to that we may or may not know that our body is still remembering and still holding on and 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 trying to figure out that healing process. And so when I think about Hudson's birth, it is it is a motivation for that birth experience to be standard. To have I mean down to a prenatal yoga and Pilates therapy appointment that I was, that I, I had scheduled, um, with a, a friend of mine who owns a, a, a maternal studio, fitness studio. Um, you know, she did some work with me, my massage therapist. I mean, people that I didn't even mention that were on my birth team that, that were really on my birth team, um, that are needed for all moms and dads for support. That is the community. That is the village that they show up in their most authentic to hold space when necessary and still available to hold space even after, you know, the balloons and the cakes and the presents have been, you know, unwrapped and used and thrown away or whatever. It's like still checking in. And so I feel like his birth is almost a birth. His birth is a birth in the movement that I'm, I'm trying to create with perinatal wellness Institute and trying to normalize the need for village. And here's the crazy thing, y'all Western world. We may be acting brand new about it, but on the Eastern side, that that's, that is the standard 
community comes together in preparation even before conception. When mom and dad get together, there's songs that are sung. There are affirmations and blessings and prayers. There's village that comes together and that speaks to this mom's womb that carries her. And she sings this song as they are going through conception. And then throughout the whole journey of pregnancy, they're there. They're there for the birth. And they are there at least the first 40 days postpartum. So my question is, why do we still have this huge gap in postpartum care? Because moms are creators of life and creators of family. And if we don't have mom, what do we really have? And so I'm hoping that with me being more um, open about Hudson's birth and the birth that I've experienced as a support person and as a lived experience with a mom of, of seven, that we are creating a consistent voice that is loud and that is impactful and that shares the stories that are needed in order for us to implement the sense of normalcy and standard for community. It is a lot of layers. And most times I'll tell you this, moms don't even know it's available to them because they don't know what they need. They go through the the system, right? They're shuffled through the system, kind of like cattles where they're like, oh, I'm pregnant. Okay, well, we can do a confirmation of pregnancy, but you're not really seeing a provider until you're 12 weeks, right? And I understand statistically, it's like, okay, once a, a fetus makes it to, to 12 weeks, they have a higher chance of survival, right? So I get that. But what are we doing with 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 trying to bring awareness to preparing mom's body even before conception, working on her diet and her lifestyle and the stressors that come with life and trying to have a, this, this, this comprehensive holistic approach to um, balancing mind, body, and spirit to create the most optimal womb space, womb environment for this baby to be able to survive. And so, you know, we get to mom and she's 12 weeks. And by that time she may have, you know, we don't know if she's recreationally drinking, like social drinking, or maybe she's smoking or maybe have a high stress job, or maybe she has toxic relationship with people, or we don't know where her background is and, and what's been going on in that first 12 weeks or even before the 12 weeks, right? Because we're a, a, we a combination of a lifetime of things that have happened to us. And if we don't let that go, it's stored in the muscle tissue, right? And it manifests in different ways. And usually it goes down to the foundation of who we are, which is the base of our spine, which is our pelvis, which is where we create life, right? And so um, I won't go down that rabbit hole with infertility, but um, I will say that creating a safe space for your womb is key. It's key. Now, there's other things that may, you know, bubble out to health complications or family things, genetic things. Okay, that's fair. But what are we doing on a fundamental level to care for mom even before conception? But the system is like, okay, well, you're pregnant. All right, well, you know, PM a stick. Okay, if you're coming to the medical side, we're going to take your urine, maybe do some blood work, and that's confirmation of pregnancy, your COP. And you don't see a provider, OB or midwife until about 12 weeks. And I think the midwife, midwifery model does a good job with hosting groups where, you know, you have this, this community-based conversation in each uh, trimester. But outside of that, it's like, okay, how are we pushing lifestyle changes? How are we pushing the, the, the true nutritional side of what you need to be eating? Because 
research is, is showing that when a mom has preeclampsia, which is basically high blood pressure during pregnancy, or they have gestational diabetes, which is basically diabetes during pregnancy, these can be components of nutrition and lifestyle change. It can be that simple, right? And so that's why they, they, they've said that these are preventable diseases that are happening during our pregnancy. And so black mothers have higher rates of gestational diabetes and higher rates of preeclampsia that can, that can turn into help, which is a syndrome that um, really, really attacks your filtration system, your liver and your kidneys um, and can be fatal if not addressed. Um, And so we can, we can get to these moms early enough to help prevent this, or at least to, to, to maintain some sense of healthy um, habits um, or even retraining the, the, the unhealthy habits. But the point of what I'm trying to say is that, you know, when you're talking about building a team, by the time my dual clients get to me, I have a few that are like, I'm 12 weeks pregnant. And usually like when you find a doula, usually like you're in your third trimester, you're like, okay, I need somebody. Um, so those ones that are that are like, I know I need a doula, let's find one close. I'm able to talk to them about health and wellness and fitness um, under the umbrella of pregnancy and, and to plan for postpartum recovery and what that looks like. But what about the moms who are coming in and they're just now because of COVID um, and the spotlight that it's brought, just now finding a doula. And just now finding the resources and just now getting educated with childbirth education and preparation and knowing that this is a marathon when you're in labor. And really the goal is for you to be intuitive and drop into your body and listen to what's going on and have somebody that's going to confirm that and protect your space and your bubble throughout the whole process. So that way it's not fear-based decisions being made for you and you get pushed out of experiencing birth and being part of birth. And so the goal for um, my platform for Perinatal Wellness Institute company is to reinforce the need and explain the why behind talking to moms quite early on and trying to implement those healthy lifestyles so that way they understand the things that they can do to increase a positive pregnancy, birth, and postpartum, but then also to bring awareness to the type of team members that they need to be building on their team. It's essential. It really is. So I'm not going to have us go down this rabbit hole. I might, we could do a whole nother session on this, but I, I want to add to that because, okay, Dr. Burnett came today, red hey. Um <laughs> I want to add to that beyond just thinking about, you know, the preparation when you are saying that you want to expand your family, like that, that, that preconception beyond that, just understanding how to be intuitive to our bodies and what our bodies need before that, before that being able to listen to ourselves, trust ourselves, understand what our bodies do beyond just, okay, I need to feed and drink and eat and sleep. Um, Yeah. That needs to happen. Because then I think it would be easier to filter people, not filter people, to help navigate people like, okay, now how do you translate that to birth? What does that look like for pregnancy if they already had those skill sets set in? 
Yeah. Well, what you're talking about is sexuality and sensuality in womanhood. And so when we, I won't go down the rabbit hole either, but I do want to make this point that what was our experience, right? This is rhetorical, but like, what was our experience when we first had our period, when we were transitioning into womanhood, when our hormones were changing and we were like impressionable, right? And most times, at least in the westernized world, it's like, oh my God, I hate my period. I get cramps and I get this and I got like, it's, it's a negative experience. And so if we are conditioning our young growing women to not honor this transition of like your like uterus is a self-cleansing um, pure organ. Like there's no other self-cleansing organ that we have. And so, yes, they're shedding, right, which is the blood part. And yes, there may be cramping, but there's also things that can help reduce those um, signs and symptoms more often than not. They help reduce, not completely take away, but we can celebrate every month this transition that we're going through on a monthly basis. And so I think if we are able to start there, and have these ceremonies, um, these bleeding ceremonies um, that are that are normalized in other countries and cultures. Um, that I feel like, in my heart of hearts, we would be more intuitive with the transition into becoming a creator of life. I don't know. That's my little theory. Um, I'm kind of sticking to it. I, I do think it's it's linked. To that, maybe not always. I mean, there's some things, uh, external factors, traumas that have happened um, to us and, and, and things that we can't prevent. Um, but I think overall, the outlook of how we become more intuitive at an early age and, and actively live that lifestyle, I think that that would set us up for, for a better outcome, for a better outcome. Absolutely. I'm going to go on record that we went down the rabbit hole. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. I, I love the rabbit hole. We didn't go deep. <laughs> but we put a foot in there and put a foot in another mm-hmm. one. And they are for definitely for some we future did. conversations that we'd love to, to carry on for sure. Um, I have one last point about your birth um, and the immediate postpartum where your son was fed um, via syringe. Um, there's a word we use in birth all the time, surrender. Um, and this, this state that we're used to hearing the word in normal daily life, and it feels more like a white flag, a giving up. But when we use the word in birth, um, that's not what our intention usually is. It's usually just more of an allowing. Um, and, and I think that sometimes when people hear it in birth, that they aren't necessarily connecting what we're actually trying to say. And maybe that's a word that we, we use in a different way that, or we just use a different word altogether. But um, I could get a sense of you sharing the story and telling how it happened, that it wasn't something that, it was on your box of things to check that you wanted to do, but it wasn't something that brought, that you couldn't get past, um, that you were able to say, I'm not in a space to breastfeed, right? And I think that sometimes people get caught up in the plans of birth and how they want things to go that they don't allow themselves to really 
heal and start that process of putting themselves first to even be able to take care of a child um, and, and allowing themselves to just really choose them. Choose yourself first. Like this baby is well taken care of. There's lots of grownups around here. <laughs> and I will have my time. I will have my space forever in a day to be with this child, right? Um, but making sure that you're okay is, is just as important. That's I think that I hope our listeners are hearing that too. Yeah, for sure. Is there anything else that you wanted to share with us, our listeners, any advice or resources? Um, I would definitely say that I'm honored to be a part of this unfolding. Um, it, it's really special what you all are, are providing your listeners and um, creating this culture of storytelling um, surrounding around birth and the experiences um of birth and postpartum. Um, I would definitely say that, you know, if, if people want to know more information about perinatal um, care and community and culture, um, you know, they can follow me at drrenette.com. Um, that will take you to the, to the website of Perinatal Wellness Institute and kind of dive into to that work that I'm doing right now. Um, as far as advice, I, the biggest, um, most impactful advice that I probably can give to you is trust the process. Um, trust the process and really be intentional about building your village, whether you're preconception, um, whether it's pregnancy, whether it's postpartum, whether it's parenthood, we need village. We really do more so than we've ever needed before. And so being intentional about um, creating that space for yourself, um, knowing that you're not alone and that there are many, many mothers that are going through the same thing that you're going through um, are needing your voice and needing your narrative. And so trusting that process and intentionally building your village, I think, will create a healthier um, generation for us. So it's been an honor to be um, a part of this this storytelling experience, and um, it's definitely been enjoyable. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> there aren't for listening enough. to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. The Birth Story Love Letter is a unique offering that captures your personal experience. This offering is a keepsake or memento of sorts, a treasure capture of your sacred life memory, a love letter to yourself, your children, born or unborn, your family and friends, community, and ancestors. This offering includes recording space to share your story, edited audio of your birth story, and transcription of your birth story in both a digital and custom-created hard copy. This is our oral history gift a story that should be honored by being heard, shared, and remembered. Stories shared in this manner are for the storyteller's personal use. They will not be shared via the BSIC podcast. Head to the Birth Stories in Color website to begin your love letter.